Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Enterplus Q3 2021 results conference call. At this time, all lines are in listen-only mode, and following the presentation, we will conduct a question-and-answer session. If at any time during this call you require immediate assistance, please press star zero for the operator. As a reminder, this call is being recorded today, Friday, November 5th, 2021, and I would now like to turn the conference over to Mr. Drew Mayer, Manager of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Operator, and good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining the call. Before we get started, please take note of the advisories located at the end of our third quarter news release. Our financials have been prepared in accordance with U.S. GAAP. All discussion of production volumes today are on a gross company working interest basis, and all financial figures are in Canadian dollars unless otherwise specified. I'm here this morning with Ian Dundas, our President and Chief Executive Officer, Wade Hutchings, Senior VP and Chief Operating Officer, Jody Jensen-Labrie, Senior VP and Chief Financial Officer, Shana Morihira, VP Finance, and Garth Dahl, VP Marketing. Following our discussion, we will open up the call for questions. And with that, I will turn it over to Ian. Good morning, Paul. We achieved another company production record in the third quarter with volumes of over 123,000 BOE per day, 7% higher than the prior quarter and 36% higher than the prior year period. This momentum is expected to continue in the fourth quarter with production set to increase to between 124,500 to 128,500 BOE per day. We've moved the midpoint of our annual 2021 production guidance higher by 750 BOE per day due to outperformance in North Dakota and the Marcellus. This is despite having sold volumes in connection with our non-core Williston Basin investment that closed on November 2nd and further underscores the operational momentum we are seeing. <clears throat> our spending plans remain on track and we have tightened up our 2021 capital guidance to $380 million, the midpoint of our prior range. Our free cash flow profile continues to grow, driven by increasing commodity prices, our higher production outlook, and our disciplined capital allocation. We now expect to generate approximately $540 million in free cash flow in 2021 based on forward strip commodity prices. <clears throat> this increased free cash flow generation, combined with the $115 million U.S. proceeds related to our non-core sale has accelerated the timetable to achieving our $400 million net debt reduction target. We now expect to achieve this target here in the fourth quarter. As a result, we are accelerating our plans to increase our cash returns to shareholders sooner than anticipated by way of an expanded share repurchase program and a dividend increase. We are immediately commencing a $200 million share buyback program our target today is to fully execute this program by the end of the first quarter of 2022, if not sooner. 
This represents approximately 50% of forecast free cash flow over this period based on the forward strip. We continue to see a disconnect between our current market valuation and the intrinsic value of our business based on our view of mid-cycle commodity prices. As a result, we believe share repurchases offer an attractive capital allocation opportunity. We also announced an 8% dividend increase, our third dividend increase year to date. In aggregate, this represents a 37% increase on an annualized basis from our dividend level at the start of the year. Turning to 2022, our preliminary outlook is consistent with the five-year plan we announced earlier this year. Approximately $500 million in capital spending, which is expected to generate strong economic returns and meaningful free cash flow while delivering 3 to 5% liquid production growth. Inclusive of our 2021 acquisitions and recent investment, the absolute year-over-year liquids production growth is closer to 7%. But normalized for the timing impacts of the acquisitions, the organic growth associated with the 2022 budget is in line with our stated 3 to 5%. Based on strip prices, we see our free cash flow growing by close to 20% year-over-year in 2022. Factoring in our planned share buyback program, that number moves higher on a per share basis. Now, before I turn the call to Wade to discuss operations, I want to reiterate one final point. We are committed to returning a significant portion of free cash flow to shareholders. The $200 million buyback and dividend increase are just the most recent examples of our commitment to return meaningful amounts of our free cash flow to our shareholders. Although the strategy is becoming more common in industry, it has been a hallmark of our capital market strategy since the inception of the company. Since 2018, we have returned over $370 million to shareholders through a combination of dividends and buybacks during a time of far less attractive commodity prices. Combining those returns with the buyback we announced today will bring us close to 20% of the value of our market cap, which will be returned to shareholders. As I said earlier, we are commencing the buyback immediately and expect it to be completed relatively early next year. Once this plan is executed, we will continue to look for opportunities to further increase returns to shareholders as we move into next year and gain further visibility to the commodity price environment, inflation expectations, and overall market conditions. The portion of free cash flow that we do not allocate to shareholder returns will be used to fortify the balance sheet. We continue to believe that having a top quartile balance sheet strength is a strategic asset. Volatility will continue. We want to maintain our resilience through the cycle and through price shocks. With that, I will leave it there and turn the call to Wade. Thanks, Ian, and uh, good morning, everyone. Our operational performance this year continues to be solid and is reflected by our increased production guidance and disciplined capital execution. We brought 16 operated wells on production in the Bakken in the third quarter and have maintained our strong completions efficiency, continuing to average approximately 13 stages per day, over 30% faster than our 2020 performance. In terms of Bakken well costs, we continue to track to an average expected 2021 total cost of US 5.7 million, despite some inflationary pressures that are starting to emerge in the supply chain specific to steel and diesel costs. With respect to remaining 2021 completions activity, 
we're bringing on an eight well pad on production in the fourth quarter in North Dakota, which along with strong volumes in the Marcellus is expected to drive Q4 production to over 126,000 BOE per day based on our guidance midpoint. Third quarter operating expenses were higher than forecast, which was a function of two factors. The biggest of which was a temporary increase in well service activity resulting from our decision to accelerate the restoration of downed wells. This activity became increasingly economic as oil prices moved substantially higher through the summer. The other factor was an increase in water handling costs, largely due to contracts with price escalators linked to WTI. While the higher water handling charges will persist in the current WTI price environment, we are back down to a more normalized pace of well workover activity and workover rigs. And as a result, we expect operating costs to come down in the fourth quarter to approximately $8.80 per BOE. Moving on to 2022, our preliminary capital budget of approximately 500 million will be largely focused on North Dakota, where we plan to add a second rig for about half the year. During the, during the past six months, we have secured pricing for approximately 75% of our 2022 North Dakota development program, providing protection against inflationary pressures. Key items we have secured include drilling rigs, pressure pumping, sand, and the majority of casing. Notwithstanding this, we do expect to see some impacts from inflation and have budgeted for a 5 to 7% increase in total North Dakota well costs in 2022, assuming the current strength in WTI continues. In terms of our 2022 development focus, we plan to be active on the acreage we acquired in our transactions earlier this year. So in addition to Fort Berthold Indian Reservation, operations will also be focused on the lightly drilled acreage to the south at Little Knife and Murphy Creek. Today, we see over a decade of tier one drilling inventory ahead of us in North Dakota. However, we think there is an opportunity to extend this further by bringing modern stimulation and well design to other parts of our acreage footprint, specifically in Southern Little Knife, Murphy Creek, and Central Williams. The Southern acreage in Dunn County was not a focus for the previous operator, so there are very few wells in these units and they're generally of an older vintage. Several recent wells from offset operators have strong production results, and we see the potential to extend the core of the play to these areas. I'll now pass the call to Jody. Thanks, Wade. Our third quarter adjusted funds flow was $256 million with capital spending of $80 million, resulting in free cash flow for the quarter of $176 million. A realized Bakken oil price differential improved to $2.09 US per barrel below WTI in the third quarter. Refining demand was strong, and there continues to be significant available pipeline capacity in the basin supporting pricing. Following Dakota Access Pipeline's expansion in August to 750,000 barrels per day, we see approximately 400,000 barrels per day of spare capacity in the basin, and we believe it will remain overpiped for a number of years. Given the improved pricing year-to-date, and ongoing market strength, we have narrowed our 2021 differential guidance in the Bakken to $2 US per barrel below WTI. Bought differentials have continued to strengthen in the fourth quarter, and we expect this pricing dynamic to continue into 2022 with potential for sub $2 Bakken differentials to WTI. 
Our Marcellus natural gas pricing also improved quarter over quarter with a realized differential of 45 cents U.S. per MCS below NYMEX due to increased natural gas demand and lower storage levels. Strong pricing is expected through the winter season, and we have tightened our 2021 full-year Marcellus differential to 55 cents U.S. per MCS below NYMEX. Further to Wade's comments on operating expenses, although we increased 2021 operating expense guidance, our total cash costs remain approximately the same. The reduction in cash DNA guidance combined with the improved Bakken and Marcellus differential guidance has effectively offset the impact to our annual cash flow from the higher operating expenses. Now turning to the balance sheet, we remain in a strong financial position and expect the delevering to continue with meaningful free cash flow forecast in the fourth quarter of 2021. Our net debt to adjusted fund flow ratio is expected to be under one times by year end. Lastly, we recently added 12,500 barrels per day of incremental oil hedges for the first half of 2022. Using three-way callers with average US dollar WTI strike prices of approximately 58 by 75 by 88. These structures provide protection at $75 WTI while allowing participation up to $88 WTI, helping to protect the free cash flow generation associated with our return of capital plans as outlined by Ian at the beginning of the call. I'll leave it there and we'll turn turn it over to the operator to have the question period. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now conduct a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press star two. Please stand by for your first question. Your first question comes from Jeffrey Lambujan of Tudor Pickering Holt. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, my first one is uh, just on free cash flow allocation. Once you achieve your, your balance sheet objectives, which, as you all pointed out earlier, should happen here in the uh, in the fourth quarter, you know we certainly appreciate the the buyback over the next few quarters and what that means relative to free cash flow across that same time frame. But is there any additional color you can give us on how you'd like the the balance sheet to look longer term? Uh, maybe towards giving us a sense of how the the free cash flow allocation framework in terms of debt versus capital returns mix. Uh, could evolve over time, especially as we think about uh, you know you all exiting the year at under one one times on leverage. Yeah, thanks for that, Jeff. Um, so I guess I'll start by saying um, it's strategically important to us, and it's you know the, all the cool kids are doing it now, but we've been doing this for a long time, and so it's a, it really is an important part of our our framework. Um, you know, as, as it stands today, I, I guess we've given very explicit visibility to what happens over the next couple of quarters, which is a continuation to pay down debt, um, about 50% free cash flow with the majority of uh, allocated shareholders with the majority of that uh, going to the buybacks. Um, as, as we move forward, um, you know, and assuming the outlook remains um, supportive, which it certainly has that feel now, um, I think you're going to continue to see very similar themes. You know, we are, when we think about delivery mechanisms to shareholders, um, a stable growing base dividend um, that's highly resilient uh, makes a lot of sense to us. So I think there's room to continue to go there. 
Um, you know, uh, the I think the thing that we've, we've maybe stayed away from a little bit is exactly what percentage of free cash flow gets allocated, and we, we will evolve, evaluate that as we move forward. You know, as we think about value in the stock today, we really do think that share buyback has a, a very strong role to play, um, highly creative and uh, strong capital allocation choice. Um, I guess we, we are open-minded to um, specials and variables and those sorts of things that are starting to get a little bit of traction in the market, and we'll evaluate that as we go through, you know, looking for what we think is the, the best way to continue to deliver returns to shareholders and uh, maintain a sustainable business. Great, appreciate that. And, and then just as a follow-up, I wanted to ask one on portfolio management. You know, I think this was not highlighted as a, a potential use of free cash flow over the near term, uh, but just given that you know there's been some bolt-on activity to the, the Bakken in the recent past, just wondering if additional activity like that is maybe further down the road at this point. And then conversely, you know, we'd be curious to get your thoughts on if the, the commodity price environment has maybe opened up some doors to you know keep selling down some of the non-core positions. Uh, yeah, thank you. So relative to bolt-ons or acquisitions, um, you know, I think folks who you know, have been following us over the last year will appreciate we, we really made significant changes to the portfolio through the Bakken acquisitions that we were able to to execute um, somewhere in the trough. Um, it, it, they have um, effectively doubled our inventory um, plus additional optionality that sits there that Wade alluded to in his comments. So um, the, the bar to bring additional inventory, the bar for acquisitions, those sort of things is higher than it once was. We, we, we really don't have any holes in the portfolio now. You know, we'll, we'll obviously remain opportunistic and the balance sheet strength is exceptional. And you know I think that is sort of core business for people thinking about whether you can accretively add value in those areas, but the bar is higher than it, than it once was. To your question about, um, I guess the the market and the ability to sell non-core, um, I, I guess I would I would highlight this divestment we just executed as a good example of that. So if if you look at the acquisitions we executed, um, the front half of the year, I just want to put them on a cash flow metric. You know, we effectively bought it three times based on a 60 deck. Um, you know, the deck wasn't 60 at the time, but just to normalize it. And we just sold um, assets that are more mature with higher cost structures at five times based on a 60. And that happened over not much more than a quarter and a half. It was really quite astounding how fast the market has moved. Um, you know, Since then, though, with the increased strength in oil and, and maybe a bit of volatility, there actually hasn't been a lot of deals. So you know, I, I think the market is actually um, struggling a little bit with the volatility <laughs> and um, bid ask spread. You know, it doesn't usually close in those periods of volatility. Um, maybe the, the takeaway, though, to your question, you know, do I think there might be better opportunity to realize process, proceeds from non-core? I would think so. You know, we, we've come from what has been felt like a generational buying opportunity, which we were able to take advantage of, and now it feels like there will be opportunity to monetize non-core, but I guess we'll have to see where the market goes. Two weeks of stability might just help with a little bit of stability. <laughs> All right. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jeff. Your next question comes from Aaron Bilkowski of TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning. Here. 
I was hoping you could talk a little bit about the parameters you look at when making the decision to buy your shares. I understand you've gone down that route. I'd be curious sort of what framework you think about when you when you think about them being undervalued. Are you looking at them on a NAV type basis? Is that like a 2P NAV? Is there upside in that 2P NAV? What sort of pricing assumptions? I don't want you to tell me when you're going to stop buying your shares. I'm just kind of curious what goes into your decision-making process. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's, that's fair. And, and I would expect that'll, that will come under increasing focus as the quantum of buybacks across the space increases. Um, I, I guess for us, it's relatively straightforward. Um, it's based on a, a view of intrinsic value of the stock relative to trade. And, you know, we, as you know, you know, that is a multi-step process. You have to think about commodity prices and cost structures and, and those sorts of things. And, you know, we, we build it up PDP and we build it by wedge and, and all, all of those things and apply discount rates. So, um, you know, I guess I won't give you exactly the math on it, but we've, we've given some insights into it. Um, you know, it's based on a price view and our, on our midpoint price view. If you, if you look at the stock now versus the strip, um, compelling, compelling value. We don't think we actually have to lean into the strip to feel comfortable with returns. And we're thinking about our mid-cycle pricing in that $55 to $65 range. Let's call it 60 uh, for kicks. And you know, we see we see um, returns strongly supported in that um, with that framework, um, independent of the capital markets drivers, which we think are supportive, and all those sorts of things. Um, you know, this on a pure capital allocation basis, we think is is a great idea and you know i guess you didn't ask this question but i'll, I'll use the opportunity you know so the reasons we don't have an explicit formula in the market right now is you know if enterplus was 25 dollars a share instantaneously i'm not sure it would be 200 million dollars of a share buyback i'm not sure about that and so you know things evolve and things change but right now it feels like a, a very clear decision that we should execute an aggressive buyback, you know, representing about seven percent of our stock based on valuation. Perfect. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Aaron. Your next question comes from Travis Wood of National Bank. Please go ahead. Yeah. Thanks. Good morning. Um, question is a bit of a follow-on around. Um, the free cash, but more so I wanted to, to get a sense of how you think about debt levels and not obviously in this market as respect to kind of a max number, but could you see debt? I mean, we see it pretty easily in, in this type of commodity price environment and the free cash generation heading significantly lower. Um, do you think it's optimal to, to drive that to zero? Um, do you think there's a, a cap stack that you can leverage on and maybe that ties into the sustainability-linked lending as well, um, but just kind of wanted your thoughts on, on debt or gross debt or net debt on, on types of levels at the at this kind of free cash generation point. Yeah, thanks, Travis. Um, you know, so those will probably remember we, we had we had set a, um, I guess, a target, a, a gated target on debt um, that we would hit um, and then accelerate returns, and, you know, and that was one time um, debt cash flow based on a 50 deck, and as we announced, you know, we see getting there this month, next month, um, and so we now, and and we have now highlighted 
the excess cash beyond the share buyback and the dividend increase, um, that will go to the balance sheet right now. So, you know, implicitly we are, I guess, moving past that debt target. Um, we have not set an explicit debt target. Um, we do see value in continuing to strengthen the balance sheet. Um, and although it's not a goal, um, I could see um, taking the balance sheet to zero. Um, you know, if we continue to generate extraordinary cash flow and we don't see a compelling alternative to redeployment, um, I'm not saying that's a goal. And I understand the, what the, the textbooks would tell us about efficiency and capital structure there. Um, you know, I don't know how important those are in, um, when you put those in the context of the volatility that we've been experiencing. Um, but this will be something we'll be talking to our board over time. Um, you know, I, I think it's uh, you know, absent additional investments. It's, it's not a next quarter type thing. Um, and I do see, you know, as long as we still have debt on the balance sheet, allocating some capital towards that, I think is a de-risking and value creating event. And uh, I can see that playing out in many, many different ways. Um, we, we wouldn't have been able to execute on the $800 million of acquisitions where we've now effectively doubled our money if we didn't have um, exceptional balance sheet strength. Um, but, I, but I do see that question and the conversation continuing over time. You know, as these, uh, if these commodities continue to hold and the cash flows show up the way that they're, they're looking right now. Okay, that's, uh, that's, that's a great color. Thanks, Ian. Um, and this this might be for for Jody uh, or or Wade. I, I might have missed it. I think they might have touched on it. But just some color uh, as we on OpEx as we step into 2022. I mean, obviously, I think before you got to looks to be uh, significantly better uh, after some transient items in in Q3. Um, but how can we think about that OpEx into into next year, and do you still see some some opportunity that there's some inflationary pressure on on the 2021 kind of average number? Yeah, thanks, thanks, Travis. I think um, maybe you hand it over to Wade. We um, and you can sort of talk us through that. Yeah, happy to. Good morning, Travis. Thanks. Um, let, let me give you a little context for Q3, and then try to address your question on 22. So as we indicated in, in the press release in the script, you know, we see a key part of that higher Q3 OPEX as temporary. Essentially what we had um, occur was, you know, as, as you recall, we inherited a fair number of shut-in wells in the Bruin transaction. And as we cleared that backlog in the early summertime, we also experienced more wells needing work over than normal uh, in the middle to late summer. Given the really robust uh, pricing environment, we chose to add workover rigs to restore those valuable volumes. Um, by late September, we had returned to a more typical pace of workover activity and a more typical rig count. And so that's why you see the lower um, you know, OPEX guide for Q4 uh, based on that trend. Now, the reality is some of that increase in Q3 was a bit inflationary, simply tied to WTI price, where some of our watering, water handling contracts have a bit of a link to WTI price. So clearly some of that, if we stay at these levels, will continue into 2022. Now, we, we of course haven't, as you noted, put out any official OPEX guidance for 22. And so, you know, that'll come, um, you know, in January when we put out our more robust uh, budget guide. 
But, you know, clearly to your question, we're watching lots of, of inflationary pressures um, either emerge or strengthen uh, into next year. You know, on the capital side of the business, we've been very proactive. Um, over the last six months, we've, we've actually locked in about three quarters of our total well costs. And so we feel like we're protected there. We've done a few things like that on the OPEX side. For instance, we have uh, our workover rig um, day rates locked in. So, you know, we've been proactive on several items in the OPEX uh, arena, but as you can appreciate, there's a lot of moving pieces on OPEX. So, you know, we would expect some inflation uh, in that operating cost environment. Um, you know, the, the guide we've given for Q4 is probably a reasonable starting point to think about where where uh, where the future is headed. Okay. M much appreciate that, Wade. Thanks. Thanks very much, and that's all for sure. me. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, reminder to please press star followed by the one on your touchtone phone. There are no further questions at this time, so I will turn the conference back over to Mr. Mayor. Please go ahead, sir. Thanks, Operator, and thank you to everyone that joined the call today. Have a great rest of your day and weekend. See you. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.